Listen is a podcast series by the I Never Ask For It mission. The mission works to heal from victim blame by building testimonies of clothing. Survivors of violence, that is each of us, across varying degrees, bring the garment we wore when we experienced violence. Our garment is memory, witness and voice to an experience of sexual assault. Our garment is present to say, I never ask for it. Blank noise, I never ask for it and all allies are working to bring 10,000 garment voices to India Gate by 2023 in an effort to end victim blame, violence against women, girls and all persons. You are now listening to Listen, Episode 4. Episode 4 was recorded in Montreal, Canada on the invitation of McGill University's Institute for Gender, Sexuality and Feminist Studies. The circle was built by seven persons in November 2018. Um, I was thinking in, in, in the way to hear about the war uh, surviving. That it's, um, yeah, I know, I know many theory things about survivors or, or being a survivor, but um, I, I was thinking I'm not comfortable about that. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> because I, I work a lot, but uh, of course I'm a survivor of, of sexual harassment. Uh, I've been raped at the age of 11. It's something that it was never easy to say. Thank you. Uh, it was someone of my family, and I I was able to say it at the age of thirty five, and nobody believes me <laughs> because why you why you wait so many time to say something? Why it's just now that he's dead? Well, maybe because he's dead. <laughs> And um, uh, and after um, I I go through any other <laughs> uh, events, but this one is very difficult to me. This one and and and, and another uh, fact that happened when I was uh, sixteen, and the man that that. Uh, as me, it was a big fighter of human rights in Argentina, <laughs> and uh, it was impossible to say his name. Um, I tried to many times, but also nobody wants to be wants to believe me. Uh, once I I told to my my editor in chief when I was in, on, on my thirty, and every I don't know why on my thirties everyone. <laughs> <laughs> wants to go out um, and she told me um, it's she was supposed to be a feminist she told me well it's some men's like uh, young girls so maybe it's not an abuse <laughs> it's just uh, uh, but that I, I can believe about that I, and, and there's long conversations about the consents but he was like my father, you know. I, I I went to him to ask about my mother and what happened to her. 
in the concentration camps because she was a researcher and um, and he was a close friend to my mother and it's the power it's not the age you know <laughs> and 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 the power of being a fighter of human rights it was yeah i'm sorry <laughs> i think that that uh, the, the possibility of of, of, of talk and you know, confidence place is the causes of my <laughs> tears, I don't know. Because it was in, in the very moment we make silence, <laughs> I feel like crying. <laughs> I always find a new thing to be angry about. And today I was angry about, um, so I was sexually assaulted by my swimming coach when I was 10. And when we were talking about victim blaming, um, I was on the national team, and so a lot of the... So I was swimming with children whose only way out of poverty was swimming for the national team. And so after I told my parents, and we actually took them to court, um, these other parents came to our place. They just dropped by without announcing themselves. and. Um, I mean, our house is always open, so people just come in, and so they came and they sat down, and then they told my mother that I was lying. How could I, you know, I just was making this up because um, he was such a respected person in the community, and um, yeah, and I was listening from the bedroom, and I, you know. It's just, I remember feeling really numb at the time, but over the years I'm less angry, or not less angry, but I can speak about the event, but it's the aftermath that still keeps me enraged. I think one of the, uh, the things that gets me about it is the the way that uh, I think for most women, we, we, we feel like our entire lives have been spent being taught where this is going to happen, like where, where not to go. Um, and uh, I, I think for me that that grates against me because uh, it was in such a familiar context. Um, and what I've learned from that is that it, it's, it's impossible not to feel um, like you could have been more careful sometimes, um, and I, it hits me hard. I think because I was, you know, I was I was eighteen. I, I feel like I I had agency. I could vote, um, uh, and it was. Um, I I worked on a farm. I worked on a farm every summer from 16 to, uh, to 18, um, and it, it was a small one, and the woman who ran it was just, just too busy to take care of the animals, um, and I, I really loved it there. And uh, she had two sons, um, both of whom were, were college age, and one day one of them had brought 
one of his friends uh, over to, to the farm to kind of say hi to everyone. And it was clear that they have been really close for like a really, really long time. Uh, and this person um, kind of came out to the barn and I was showing him around all of the, the horses and the goats and you know farm stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, asked me um, if I wanted to get dinner. And I said, you know, sure, but it made it clear that I wasn't interested in in, in him romantically that I wasn't wasn't looking for that um, but that I because I went to school somewhere else I, I was always really happy to have kind of a friend um, around um, and so I hope we, we had dinner once and it, it was normal and it was nice and we, we kind of spent time I think uh, together another time on the farm when he was there visiting his friend and it, it just seemed very very platonic very very normal there was nothing strange uh, about this. So um, uh, I feel weird that this is a longer story. Um, a few weeks later, I, I was still um, working at the farm, but my family was out of town because they'd gone um, up to a, a lake to see their friends. So I kind of had the house to myself. Um, I didn't have the dogs home, so I was kind of feeling increasingly bored and spending more time in town and more time um, at the farm because I think there's only so much of your own company you really want to take when you're at home. Um, and the, the person asked me if I wanted to, to kind of hang out and I said yeah. Um, and um, he was um, a, a student at, at Dartmouth um, who had taken medical leave and so then was finishing up I think his last year I, I don't know but I met him there we were talking and I don't remember at what point it seemed like we should kind of spend time at my house but I think it was that you know there were roommates and we were just going to kind of watch a movie and I still I, I say it and I feel so stupid because I feel like it was so obvious that I that this person's intentions weren't like mine um but if I look back to the back to the house and I, you know, it was it was my home, right? It's where you feel most comfortable, most safe, and it's a really small town. It, it felt like the kind of thing I would have done with kind of any of my guy friends, that we were just spending time together, that we each had a, a few beers and that we were going to watch a movie, and 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 I feel really silly for thinking that, that nothing that would have happened, that I that this thing I said about not wanting anything would have been respected now. Because he told me that it was stupid of me to think that. And because he told me that it was so he years old of me. stay here after you've tried to and and then I thought god I don't want him to drive drunk um, and I said you know you can stay on the futon and and you thought that was really funny and I 
I've still never seen Pulp Fiction. I saw the first 30 seconds of it and I'm never going to see it. And then I, I stopped thinking about it. Because I didn't know what to make of it. I don't know the full extent of what happened. I was too intoxicated and I feel horrible about that. I don't, I don't know. I just remember having hands on me and I didn't want it. And I just remember going to the farm the next week, talking to my boss and knowing that I could never tell her this because I, I, I was someone who also sometimes took care of her kids. I didn't want her to hear that I'd been like too drunk for that this had happened and this was this close friend and she'd kind of been saying, oh God, you know, he just likes you so much. Or, you know, you gotta understand, you just really know your stuff out there. It's no wonder that he just fell in love with you. And I was thinking this person has made me feel so helpless. And I've never been able to say anything to my parents about it. I've never been able to tell the, the woman I worked for at that farm. Um, a few years later, I realized that there was this thing that was making me so afraid sometimes that I wouldn't be able to get yelled at on the street without having this just all consuming panic. That it was like something in my head was saying, you have to run, but you can't run. It was it was so fast and so frozen. And so when I looked back on it, I was trying to figure out what had happened. And so I, I, I think part of the reason that I do this research with Mif Medicoso is that I did this digital archaeology of my own assault. Looking back to find out if I told anyone anything. Looking back to see what I'd said so that I could remember some details, so that I could, because I don't think I know much about the week after that, except that conversation with my boss. And so I I just, I finally found the, the one person I'd said something to, who was another really close friend of mine, and he said, yes, you know, you can go. I don't want to tell you the details myself in case I get it wrong, but if you scroll up in our message history far enough, you're going to find this. I want you to know that it's there and that you can find something about it. I did that, but I still feel like there's just this information about what happened that I'm never going to know. And I'm never going to know enough about this to feel like it wasn't my fault for being stupid, for making assumptions. And I you know, rationally, you know that it wasn't your fault. Um, but I feel like I should have known better. And I have no idea how to think about any of it, other than that I don't know the extent of what happened. I don't know. I, I just don't know. And. I remember feeling like I had to play my cards right, otherwise he was going to hurt me. And that I had to be just saying no enough and just nice enough that I didn't make things worse for myself. And I still have this person's number in my phone and sometimes I put it into Google to see like 
what name comes up because I don't remember his last name. I can't like ask my boss from that period because I don't think I'd be able to keep it straight. I don't know what I'm waiting for with that. I don't know what I'm looking for with keeping from clearing out the remainder of the reminders that this happened. But I still don't really know how to talk about it. I know how to talk about all the other stuff that's coming after it. I know how to talk about being grabbed on the bus. I know how to talk about everything that happened when I lived in Mexico City, but I don't know how to talk about this one. Because this is the one where I feel like I, I misread it all. I thought I was the one in, in, in charge there. It was my house, it was my bedroom. It was, you know, the college I grew up around. It was the farm I worked on, but I was still really wrong. being told that it was so 18 years old of me. What does that mean? It's so 18 years old of me that I could think that I could invite someone who, you know, I, I considered it a safe person and a friend over to, to spend time at my house, at my parents' house. I don't know how much clearer I could have made it from my perspective. walked up the room and was like, oh my god, how are we here? Like, it was so shocking. And I wasn't really, I guess I was upset, but it was so removed from actually what I thought of myself that it, in a way it was, um, you know, it was like something I felt like I could deal with. Um, and I was like, I was my dad and I wasn't raped, but I was kind of pinned down late at night having a, my dad wanted to give me a naked massage. And I had already been trained in how to kind of be cautious in a way because there was a, a kid in my class in grade one who had issues and I was around, so I had gone to a specialist. Um, so I really felt that this was going bad. So I ran away my dad and I, Weird. I guess my dad had said, don't tell your mom, I'll get in trouble. I ran upstairs anyway. And I did tell my mom. Um, and I don't remember after that. It was never spoken about again. I, I don't remember anything about that. Um, but for me, what's really... Uh, um, the, the really brutal part is really my relationship with my mother uh, after that. Um, I feel there's, there's so much 
I mean, I, I don't know if I can make a causal relation, but um, I do remember having a genuine relationship with her before I was five or something. But it, it just, um, I, I, I just, I just remember um, after that sort of being a laughing stock. There's so much resentment, so much blame for, especially like body image issues. It, it, it's really hard to put a finger on, but I feel like it's been very difficult to kind of um, have a relationship that's not full of resentment after, after that. And it, it's weird. I have so much anger um, towards my mother, but I should have it towards my father. And he's just kind of, it feels like he's too out to lunch to even have a, um, appropriate um, interaction or any kind of deep interaction with anyway he's just whatever and, and my mom was of course was really trying to be there knowing everything about every situation and for someone who's so keen to know things and I don't know I mean, I have addressed our relationship from that age, from that time period, and she does admit being kind of really brutally mean, but somehow um, it's just not anything that we can really address in any um, meaningful way somehow, even if, it, even if we kind of can talk about it now to some extent. So that's that's kind of weird how, how that how that works how the resentment shifts and moves and how you know if someone tells you how you are after an event like that someone who who you have absolute trust in you know you can internalize that so so deeply. So yeah, I was even the, the email yesterday about the piece of garment, um, and was trying and kind of shocked at how quickly that image came to mind with that that belt, and then remembering how quickly the image came to mind when I went to throw out that belt, um, and yeah, these kinds of weird images that become very material. And then working back from that, and I remember walking out of the the hotel and seeing the face on the the concierge's the, the expression on his face as I left, and remembering the face when I came in and noticing the difference in what I was reading into it, and so it was a an out of town friend uh, was coming to Montreal, and so. I, that we should get together for drinks and we had a great night and it was hanging out with one of my friends like I would with any of my guy friends um, and we sort of jumped from bar to bar and we ended up at a cigar shop or a cigar bar and we had a nice big cigar we had drinks um, because he's not familiar with Montreal I offered to walk him back to his hotel 
and the bars were already closed, so he was like, oh, come on up, we'll have one more drink before you go home. It's cold outside, you should warm up before you go home, which yeah, seems like kind of what I would do with any of my guy friends. Um, and I remember distinctly, like, and kind of intentionally knowing that he was a little drunk and maybe a little flirty that I wanted to send the message. I'm like, no, I'm here as a friend. So I sat, he sat down on the one bed and I sat down on the other bed. Um, and just the way he'd kind of make a move forward and I'd make a move back and, and starting to recognize like, okay, how am I getting out of this? How am I leaving? Um, and, and I think, you know, I was 33 and I felt like I was mentally prepared for this, that this was stuff that I had engaged with and I had tools to deal with and I felt emotionally able to handle it. And I was so shocked by not physically being able to handle it. And I think for the first time ever, really noticing how much bigger men are and how much more powerful they are and recognizing that I had no way out of the room. And just taking, and you know, playing these kind of weird games with him and kind of actually almost resenting that I had emotional tools to work with and that I knew what was happening and I could process it and almost being so distracted by that and wondering if it was just a way of like getting myself mentally out of the space as at least I could like try to piece it together as I was going through. And yeah, I remember the, the like, moment of rebuckling that felt as I was leaving or like rushing to like get get that one last piece put back together so I could leave and go home and seeing that concierge and wondering whether he understood that this was not ooh, a late night little rendezvous walk of shame kind of book this was yeah walk of shame the shame is still upstairs in your hotel I think it is the the aftermath of replaying that, replaying how I how I processed it and how I process it when I tell friends and I feel empowered that I, I'm comfortable telling people and I've told the story and I and people are and to recognize the like ability to frame that as someone in their thirties and not so much younger. Mine is sort of difficult to tease out because uh, it's uh, during relationships. So um, I'm usually in a relationship and usually when I'm in relationships with men, there's this strange power dynamic where uh, I'm more sexually inclined than they are usually. And so um, it creates this strange dynamic where it becomes this sort of power play. And that's been something that uh, I've worked on in different, in different relationships and, and in healthy ways, I think. 
um, in one particular relationship, uh, it went really bad because uh, I think men can get really threatened when uh, they see their partner as more sexually exuberant or sensual than what they want to put forth. And um, in particular, uh, this guy I was with, he basically chose to withhold sex from our relationship altogether. And then suddenly, when I was off guard, impose his power in that sense of this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to happen. And you, since that I've been starving of sexual attention and affection, have to go along with it because you don't know when it's going to happen again, kind of thing. So this sort of like cycle of withholding in order to control. And, um, and it would happen like when I would be like dead asleep, right? So suddenly like I have to wake up and be on, right? Or like just, or, you know, in uh, public places where suddenly I would turn the corner and then, you know, that was when that had to happen. And so it was really hard to pin down because, you know, apparently I'm in a relationship with someone and, uh, you know, there is sort of this understanding of, okay, we have a consensual sexual relationship, but that wasn't what was happening at all. And in fact, it was my sexuality and sensuality that was being tightly controlled and then pitted against me uh, in situations where it was very clear that I was vulnerable or off guard. Um, the weird thing was like his sister was, is a like radical militant feminist and he is, was always like retweeting and sharing her, uh, knowledges, right? She's like hashtag neona menos, hashtag, you know, mi primera cosa, hashtag, you know, all the things. And um, they had this incredibly close relationship. And so he had this like interesting proximity to feminists that he like would again like exploit and use to um, frame him as like the most feminist dude ever, you know? And uh, that was really frustrating. When I left him, I said all the things that I wanted to say, you know? You're a fucking asshole, <laughs> right? Like, you're a fake feminist. You're an abuser. You're a, a mental abuser. You made me feel like shit. You made me feel like, you know, I'm like a crazy sex addict that's out of control. <laughs> like, all I want to do is share intimacy with you. And I respected when you did not want that but then I can't just suddenly be available when you feel like it's your time to take that leap you know the crazy thing too is when I left him um I went to Paris like 
<laughs> I just was like, fuck it, I'm going to Paris. I went to Paris by myself and spent so much money on just, like, <laughs> taking care of myself. And uh, I paid. I was paying off that debt for like six months. <laughs> and and I, his ex girlfriend would happen to be in Paris, and she reached out to me, and we went out and had drinks. And, and she's just like, you know, the thing about him is, you just can't be a sensitive person. He's just he's just the way he is. You know, she was making apologies for him kind of thing. And I was like, wait a second. So the night went on, she told me a little bit more, and she said, you know, I tried to kill myself when we were together. I was like, wait, that happened with two of his other girlfriends. They attempted suicide when they were with him. And I remember like, feeling the most low about myself, you know, when I was with him, like, like, like danger zone low, you know? And it was just something that was like, Thank you. You know, I was able to sort of just like be super pissed and angry and tell, you know, the people around me like this asshole like gaslighted me into a hole. And, you know, when it was time for sex to happen, it was always on his terms. Anyway, I blocked him, blocked him, blocked him, blocked him. And I haven't talked to him since, but as far as I know, he's still the number one feminist dude in the world and you know leaving this trail of broken women broken really awesome smart self-aware women like behind him join the mission unite to end victim blame i never ask for it Send your garment testimonial to stand in strength, power and solidarity. Send an audio testimonial via email or WhatsApp. You can reach us at 919886840612 and email us at actionhero@blanknoise.org and we will connect with you. You are an action hero. Thank you for listening.